This Tazapod 371. It is February 2024. Remarkable to think about. By now, everybody's got their action figure of the millennia parcels for January and February. Uh, if you do not, you might want to pause listening to this because there will be some spoilers about that crate. But um, even though it's cold outside, it feels like spring is right around the corner. We got a lot to cover today, so we're going to hop right in. No preamble. Let's see. What is all the stuff we got to cover? Well, like I said, parcels have gone out, have been received, and so I'm going to speak freely about what the contents of the AFOTM uh, are. And that is two figures that I'm extremely proud of, the Sand Emissary and... Cray Drake at level 40, I believe. Now, this version of Cray has been in the planning stages for a very long time. There was a sort of lighter complexion Cray head that was released, um, boy, I don't even remember how long ago, probably a year, maybe more. Um, And at the same time that that head was run, so too was this sort of darker complexion, uh, more gray-haired version of Cray. The idea here being... When he first arrives in Nosfera, he's kind of uh, pale and, uh, you know, hasn't, hasn't left the house much, hasn't left the library much. Uh, this Cray we see before us is a bit more seasoned, and uh, so he's been out in the hot sun of the Nosfera coastline. We assume he's gotten into a couple skirmishes, and, uh, you know, he's collected some experience points and put them into various stats. Truth be told, while the head was ordered long ago, I was not entirely sure what type of body I was going to put it on. And so this is where two brand new pieces really come in handy because they kind of filled out this idea for the character. And that is the new cybug uh, legs and the new scarf piece, which was sculpted by Squire of the Slice, Gordon McKinnon Hall. So congratulations to Gordon to being entered into the pantheon of official... Night of the Slice Sculptors. This is a, uh, you know, Gordon started out just being a fan and learned the skills to sculpt, put the time in, and now he is official. So big congratulations to him. It's also worth noting that uh, Kenneth West has bridged that gap as well and become another official fan to sculptor pipeline uh, completist, if you will. Um, Kenneth sculpted the balaclava head that comes in the new pirate weapon pack that some people got a little taste of when they ordered the uh, Dubois Boys uh, arms dealer pack. So uh, very exciting to have two Squires of the Slice come full circle into having real production pieces, and I hope that these are not the last pieces that these folks get, and I hope one day they get entire figures of their own design. And uh, if they keep at it, I think that will happen for them. And for any other aspiring toy makers or sculptors out there, just follow the path of Gordon and Kenneth West. Both of them put years into learning these skills. They are constant contributors to the community, and both are completely selfless, humble, very chill, very nice people. They're never pushy. They're never demanding. And... Uh, you know, that I think is the, is a good frame of mind to be in if, if you want to kind of achieve these goals. So we can, uh, we can learn a lot from the example both these squires have set. I think it's also worth noting both of these artists 
spend a lot of time in other disciplines. Gordon is a devotee of going to life drawing classes and improving his two-dimensional skills. And Kenneth West is a, a you know multi-instrumentalist, a video editor, uh, director extraordinaire. So I think there's something to be said about really having an appetite for all creative fields, even if you're not particularly good at certain skill sets. Uh, the people that I see kind of rising up from being an amateur to being a professional are the people that like just can't consume enough different creative avenues. And, um, you know, I think they're, again, another great lesson to be gleaned there. These are people interested in multiple disciplinarial fields. They're not just interested in toys and making homages to 80s and 90s figures. Um, there's really, you know, a lot to be sort of learned from what they've done. But I digress. Let's get back to the AFOTM 2-pack. Uh, the Sand Emissary. This one is a fun one just for me, right? And if we think about the timing, if we think about certain movies that are coming out in March, you kind of piece together uh, what <laughs> what it is I'm nudging and winking towards. Um, not not the sort of not the deepest backstory, not the most cleverest original idea. This one is just for me and the other fans out there. And uh, you know what? Why am I making toys if I can't indulge myself every now and then? We also have a wonderful stop-motion animation video provided by a new animator, Philip Barrara. Although, if you've been a fan for a while, Philip is not a new name or face. He's been making stop-motion animation uh, videos for quite some time. Uh, famously, he did a little uh, Cray prequel issue, uh, Recreation in Clay, and I think it's it's really quite fantastic. I'll have to dig up that link. but. Um, you know, Philip is uh, making strides as well as a creative type, and I would love to see more videos from him. Again, if we could just take a moment and, and think about these three different individuals, how creative they've been, how lucky we are that they came into the Night of the Slice community, and the fact that all of them are sort of improving their craft. Uh, I, I think that there's something wonderful there. There's something that it, it transcends the idea of this just being a consumer transaction. You know, there is discovery, there is creation, there is sharing. Um, these are all the things that I love about Knights of the Slice and the Squires of the Slice. So let's keep this up. Let's elevate more of us into better practices, making more art, and, you know, help each other to, to sort of get into the uh, professional zone, quote-unquote. Also included in the parcel. Now, obviously... I blew through any semblance of a budget on this month. This is the first one of 2024. I was perfectly happy to spend some of my extra money and just make this thing jumbo-sized and completely <laughs> insane. Um, uh, there, are, there are also included Pogs. We've talked about Pogs a lot. We're doing Pogs. You remember Pogs? They're back. Um, now... Part of the reason why I blew through the budget was I included two Howl Foil cards and two Pogs. That's not going to be the case moving forward. But I do think Pogs are a nice way to kind of mix things up a little bit so that we're not getting the same stuff every month. So what I would say is throughout this year, you might get a set of Pogs, you might get a set of cards. I'm going to switch it back and forth. And yes, that's the cat knocking something over. It's also worth noting there is a QR code on back of the sort of backer card for the parcel you should 
go to that QR code. It contains a downloadable bundle of different stuff, including a teaser image of something coming up soon, uh, a sort of uh, text file that has all the video links. Um, there is an assembly video that shows you how to put together um, Cray and the Sand Emissary. Uh, you're really going to want to heat up the Cray head in particular. It's hard to get it on there very snugly, so good idea to check out that video and make sure you uh, are building these things correctly. So that has been AFOTM January-February 2024. I'm extremely proud of this set. I do think March and April could be even better. We'll see. I guess it really depends on people's reaction. Uh, before I sign off about AFOTM, I would like to know in the comments if you like the pogs, if you think it's okay if we kind of switch back and forth, cards, pogs, cards, pogs, um, and just, you know, your general reaction to the set. Keep in mind, the $30 and $50 tiers on Patreon no longer exist. If you're a latecomer to this year, uh, you will have access to offerings of these figures on the store. Although, you know, there's not going to be a ton of these. So if you want to get a second one or you're a $5 patron and you'd like to get your hands on this set, just uh, pay close attention to the Patreon. Store links will be posted. And if there are any left, I will put them out to the public. But um, I'm unsure as of yet if uh, that's going going to be something we do. Now, before we hop into questions, I want to uh, lay out something I've been thinking about. I'm kind of doing this off the cuff, not fully formed ideas, but maybe something relatively interesting. So I'm thinking about the role of critics, right? And particularly my role as a critic, because I talk a lot of shit and I review a lot of stuff and uh, I am a pretty harsh critic on creative ventures out there in the world, right? But I don't want people to misunderstand what the purpose of that is. I, I don't critique things because I believe I am the arbiter of good taste and people should align their preferences with my preferences because they are better than anybody else's. Um, it would be incredibly hypocritical for me to take that position because I love a lot of bad art and a lot of bad stuff and a lot of embarrassing stuff, but I love it and I indulge in nostalgia with it and I create and I sort of commit all the deadly sins that I always talk about in, you know, um, in sort of artistic output. So if I'm not here to be an arbiter of taste, what is it exactly I'm doing when I you know, give a quick movie review or I talk about another toy company and their output or whatever the case may be. Uh, I sort of speak about these things because I want people, particularly my fans, my customers, my squires of the slice, I want them to be more critical about life in general. I think it's good to look at things critically. And I think it's good to sort of parse out when you have an, an experience what are the elements of that experience that make it great or sublime or entertaining? Um, I think in many ways, you know, um, pop culture has become a very sort of soft around the edges thing, 
and films and TV shows and, you know, stories that are being told are just kind of anodyne, safe, not particularly horny, not particularly insightful. Um, You know, this is a sort of a large cultural thing. Everything has become a Funko Pop, right? Inoffensive, uh, featureless, detailless, ubiquitous, available everywhere. And designed with everybody in mind. You know, you could bring a Funko Pop to a uh, family holiday. You could give it to somebody. And they'll get a chuckle and not think too much about it. But you haven't offended anybody. And, um, you know, maybe they even appreciate it. That is generally like what the sort of Western culture is at this point. So when I'm particularly ruthless about something that Disney puts out or, you know, the latest Marvel series or um, True Detective, the latest season, this is because I just want people to ask these same questions for themselves and hopefully A, gravitate towards better media and B, create their own things that sort of address these issues. Seeing a movie like Poor Things, um, you you actually get a vision of a feminist story in a very compelling way that Barbie sort of failed to do. Not to say Barbie wasn't a fun movie. I enjoyed Barbie quite a bit. I laughed a lot. I was very high on edibles. Um, but like the, the sort of core of what they were trying to do with that story, which was ultimately a toy commercial within the safe confines of, you know, the the neoliberal world that we find ourselves in. Uh, a movie like Poor Things sort of does all of that and better and without these sort of consumeristic trappings of that film. While a show like the latest season of True Detective could absolutely be appreciated and enjoyed by anybody, and it may even give you some soft, tickly feelings like you're watching John Carpenter's The Thing, a show like The Curse, in comparison... Uh, is is just swinging fathoms higher or deeper. I guess fathoms are deep, right? Fathoms deep... Sw- yeah, that's not a good analogy. What I mean to say is that The Curse uh, is much more successful as something to be consumed because it's sort of... I mean, I, I can't even put it into words. It's just better in, in many different ways. So when I really pick apart something on Dostazapod, it's because I'm, I'm looking for the useful bits of it. You know, what, what does a, a show like True Detective inform me about how I write something? Well, I try to write it good, right, as a counterexample. In many ways, the sort of present-day storyline of Knights of the Slice is a kind of reactionary force to the storytelling of Marvel with Star Wars and Disney, right? Um, for many reasons that would take me another podcast to sort of pick apart. But I'm not sort of interested in decreeing what is good and what is not for everybody universally. What I'm simply trying to do is to sort of encourage people to think a little harder about what they're consuming and to absolutely find joy in it and enjoy whatever aspects you like and turn your brain off and go into slug mode. But... You know, it is also helpful if you have any creative aspirations to kind of look at these things in terms of what are they doing well, what are they not doing well, how does this make you feel, 
Is there anything transcendent about it that you can kind of bottle and use in your own pursuits? Now, a quick sort of side note that kind of, you know, makes a little sense with what I just said. Uh, I watched Aquaman 2, and I even paid for the privilege of watching Aquaman 2, even though it'll no doubt be on sort of max, um, you know, for free within a, the matter of days, I'm sure. Um, Aquaman 2 is one of those films, it's so bad, it's good, right? And I kind of feel this way about the first Aquaman, but the first Aquaman, I still hold to this day, has one of the best comic book to screen adaptations ever within the sort of the uh, Italian chase scene, uh, you know, where Aquaman and Mera are fighting the, um, I don't know, what are those guys? <laughs> the underwater guys. Uh, that sequence is, is just really brilliantly done, and it feels like you're watching a comic book. The rest of the movie is, uh, calling it shit is, a, is doing it a favor, but, um, you know, it's so crazy and out there and swinging for the fences, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a remarkable thing to look at. Uh, Aquaman 2 is like even more untethered and unhinged and with even poorer writing and somehow worse acting. Um, but it is not textureless, right? It is not bland. It is way over the top. It feels kind of like watching Speed Racer in many regards. Way too much CGI, way too much uh, smoothing of actors' faces. Um, but... It's not gray, right? And it's not gritty and realistic. Uh, it understands what it is. And I think it, it succeeds in a way that a lot of Marvel films do not because they're very serious. They're very sort of, um, you know, uh, representational. And um, they've just all become this, this kind of gray gruel. And uh, that was not my experience with Aquaman 2. Now, again, it, it is not good, but it is very, very enjoyable. The closest thing I can kind of think of is like the 90s attempts at superhero movies before Iron Man really came out. Or really X-Men, I guess you would point to as the, the one that kind of succeeded where all the others failed. So it feels like a Super Mario Brothers film. It feels like The Shadow. It feels like the Double Dragon movie. It feels like all these really bad adaptations that still manage to kind of have a bit of fun, know what they are, not take themselves too seriously. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's a good example of kind of gleaning what lessons you can from things and, and looking at it critically but still enjoying it. As the great Bill Oakley put on Twitter, by the way, it had a wonderful interview with Bill Oakley a few years ago. I believe that's listed in the uh, pegged post when you get to Patreon. He said, in the 80s, you'd usually get three or four movies every summer that were, one, so fun you'd see it a few times, two, had a soundtrack, uh, had soundtrack songs that became huge hits, Footloose, Ghostbusters, etc., and you'd hear all summer, three, had special cups at 7-Eleven, and four, had some McDonald's tie-in. Now, he's entirely correct. Um, a lot of this is just sort of alienation. You know, as we as we get older, 
we recognize less and less of ourselves reflected in the culture. That's a very real sort of phenomenon. But he's 100% correct. Like, think of, like, the summer when ID4 came out, or Wild Wild West, or Men in Black. Like, there was this sort of cultural ritual of these big tentpole events and this this shared experience of, you know, witnessing something on a screen that was several times larger than you are and then going and getting the tie-in food and, you know, the action figure line. There was a, a kind of magic to that that is probably gone and, and probably not coming back. But the art that we create now can attempt to sort of reflect what it felt like to experience those things. And watching Aquaman 2, I felt like I was, you know, an 11-year-old kid back watching something like The Rocketeer or The Shadow or, you know, whatever the the, the Phantom with Billy Zane. Like, I, I wanted to see all of it. It was all bad, but uh, it was, you know, part of that ritual, part of that, that vibe at the time. So anyway, that's uh, kind of what I've been thinking about what's been rolling around in my head. Uh, my purpose of being a critic is not to sort of mandate what's good and what's not good, but rather to give people a a series of questions to ask themselves about the things they're experiencing. And uh, the hope is that, one, it leads you to consume much better works of art, gets you exposed to things you normally wouldn't see or wouldn't, you know, watch. And two... Ultimately, it informs whatever your creative practice is and makes you better at doing it. It helps you synthesize the elements in great art that inspires you and transmutate that and infuse your own work so that it can trigger that reaction in people, you know, for generations to come. Okay, moving over to the Discord for a trio of really great questions here, starting with Cappy. Do you wear an undershirt between beneath your crisp white button-up? So uh, last episode, I believe I went on a tirade about owning a suit and what to have in your closet and how to make your life very simple and very uh, nice looking. Um, this is a great question. And I, I kind of typed out an answer on the Discord because I do think it's important information. Uh, but it generally depends on how much you sweat and what type of a sweater you are. Um, undershirts can sort of leave a line and they can look like you're wearing an undershirt under your, your, um, your sort of dress shirt. So that's not always ideal. But... Some people sweat a profuse amount, and some people also leave yellow pit stains. Um, I, I don't know why that happens. Maybe maybe take a look at your diet. But in any case, if you're a heavy sweater or you're a pit stain person, it's probably a good idea to have an undershirt uh, when you wear a white shirt. For me, it, it depends on where I'm going, what I'm doing. If I'm going to a wedding outdoors in the summer, I'm probably going to put on an undershirt because I'm going to be sweating all day long. If I'm going you know, from a air-conditioned limo to an air-conditioned executive boardroom, uh, I can probably skip it. Now, I suppose we're not calling them wife beaters anymore, but those um, undershirts worn by Italian-Americans like myself, those are pretty efficient ways to uh, 
to sort of have a little padding there if you want to do it on the cheap. If you want to spend a little bit of money, Uniqlo Air is a brand of sort of undergarments that they make. They feel like wearing mithril in Lord of the Rings. They're really fantastic. They, they don't really uh, create a visible line underneath your dress shirt. And they're super comfy. They're great as sort of like if you're traveling and you need like pajamas, uh, it, they double as that really well. Um, so, you know, I would recommend and take a look at something like this. And Cappy, out of curiosity, what, why are you just sorting this out now? You're an esteemed intercontinental gentleman. I feel like this is something, uh, you know, should already be in your playbook. Come on, man. I tease, I tease. I love Cappy. Um, moving on to the next question from Bunny. Are there any production issues slash complications making transparent pieces with lots of paint? Thinking specifically about pieces where just the eyes or visor are left unpainted like diver or hackerman helmets. Or the Sen head. His brain and eyes could be left unpainted for potential light piping. So there's sort of a poor man's light piping, which is what Ryan is talking about here. And there is proper light piping, and it is much more complex. So the correct way to light pipe in a way that works very dynamically is uh, like um, if anybody has, I don't know why I'm talking about the shadow so much lately, but the shadow line from Kenner, not a great movie, fantastic toy line. One of the all-time great toy lines of that era. Uh, They have proper light piping. So there is an ABS core which sort of acts as almost like it's kind of set up like a brain, really. You know, you got your your mass in the center and then you got your two eye shoots. Um, that is uh, made out of ABS and it's transparent. And ABS conducts light much better than PVC does. So a proper light piping is actually a mix of materials. You'll want to have sort of a PVC base or perhaps a two-part ABS shell and then that really saturated ABS sort of inner guts. Now because none of my figures have that sort of ABS inner shell and they're the majority of them are all made out of PVC, um, it's not something I can achieve and it does add considerable costs. You're taking essentially one tool and you're necessitating two tools because the ABS plastic has got to be a separate piece of steel. Now, when it comes to the complications of leaving, simply shooting something in translucent PVC and leaving the eyes or the mouth unpainted, um, one, you're not gonna get the same effect as you would with proper light piping, right? So there is a question of, is there really any value there? It's It's a neat feature if you happen to notice it, but it is not the most dynamic or convincing or easily photographable feature in something, right? The other complication is the uh, extreme cost of painting over an entire figure. So Gamma Guy, the classic knight, he had his sort of forearms in clear orange and then the rest of them, save for his eyes, were unpainted. So that necessitated an entire spray mask being built to cover uh, those parts and then spray around it. So it's sort of um it's you got to think in terms of like negative space like what is being hit with paint what is not and every application is going to require a copper spray mask to be built and that's going to be a separate charge for you and then every time they have to spray something that's an additional charge as well 
Um, then you factor in drying time in between the different applications. It tends to make a figure much more expensive. Whereas a clear translucent figure with minimal paint is a very attractive, typically historically well-selling type of figure to do. So you're sort of paying extra money to cover up a very desirable look on a base figure that would probably sell better than the one that you spent more money to cover with paint. So there is kind of a complication with, you know, how much you want to be spending in your unit cost. So hopefully that illuminates your query. Next up, we got a question from Brent here. Life coach time in the midst of a potentially upending career path and starting over in an IT position to go fully remote. What advice, if any, can you give someone who's been at a position for 12 years and is looking to restart in a completely different field of work? Should I have made the jump sooner? Is fear the mind killer? Fear is the mind killer. But, Brent, i got to be honest with you. It sounds like you got your mind already made up. Um, and that's good. I do think... Uh, Dramatic career changes are more and more common, right? I think about like uh, my grandparents. You know, my my grand my uh, paternal grandfather. He worked for the NYPD as a sort of like freelance uh, detective who would track down missing cars and stuff like that. That was his entire job for the majority of his life. Uh, you know, that was it. The, the, that was the uh, scope of how things worked back then. You got one job. You made the equivalent of $175,000 a year. Um, you know, you could have a stay-at-home wife and uh, house, garage, white picket fence, 2.5 kids, etc., etc. Um, those days are long over. And I'm actually shocked that you've been in a position for 12 years because the majority of people my age and my friends, they are changing jobs every 12 to 18 months, it seems like. Um, you know, I went to a, uh, birthday dinner a couple weeks ago and it's all my peers and everybody's, you know, relatively in the same spot in their life. And, uh, the majority of people there were no longer working for whoever they had been working for last time I saw them. It's really, you know, we're in a kind of disposable culture when it comes to, uh, job longevity. It's just, it's not there anymore. I also have the benefit of having met Brett a few times and uh, chatted with him, and uh, I think you got what it takes to make this kind of jump. I, I think there seems to be an excitement in your question, and so, you know, uh, I think you already, you know what you gotta do, and I think you'll be perfectly fine at it. I think it's gonna be uh, a change for the better, especially, look, if you got a young one, the ability to work remote is a really big deal. So. Um, I think it sounds great, and I, I wish you luck on this. Okay, we're bouncing all over the place, but just wanted to give people a quick update. Uh, I did launch the squad sale, and uh, that went really well. Everybody bought out the uh, available squad, so that's great. Um, for those who don't know, the Patreon-only store is going to see a lot of activity this year. Um, what I do is I, I sort of spend a couple days in the workshop and I put together Franken-slices or kit-bashed builds that utilize various different parts. And uh, earlier this week, I was really feeling it. I was coming up with these really interesting sort of characters 
And then it started to kind of formulate as, oh, these are two people teams. And the factions kind of filled themselves in uh, almost immediately. So uh, that was a really fun sort of drop. Now, I'm using older inventory of figures. And uh, many times it's not, it's, it's really just like a handful of stuff. I think I had, you know, eight sets of the subsidy security team. Um, it's like too little inventory to sort of put back in the main store because it's just going to kind of languish there. Um, it's not going to have the same visibility as a new item does. But um, it's not enough to kind of do, you know, a, a sort of proper rollout. So this idea of releasing small batches of Frankenslices on the Patreon store, uh, it really serves a lot of different needs. And also it's worth noting, when I put a, a sort of Frankenslice figure in the store, it's at a great price. It is like, I'm really not making very much money on it, but I, I want to get these figures sold out so that I can dedicate that space in the workshop to something new that's incoming. So it's been a really sort of multi-beneficial um, activity, I would say. For those out there that build, uh, these are great custom fodders for your own creations. And for those that are newer squires of the slices, this allows you to get figures that have been sold out of the main store for quite some time, and again, get it at a crazy low price. Now, I may not spend a lot of time sort of taking a ton of photos of these creations. I don't do a ton of descriptions of every single piece that's included. And that's because, again, we're dealing with such small quantities. By the time I uh, listed out everything and meticulously photographed everything, it would already be sold out, right? We're talking about things that go within the first couple minutes of being in the store. So I, I tend to not want to spend a lot of time on these sort of re-releases because, um, you know, I'd rather focus that bandwidth on brand new releases that do actually necessitate kind of breaking down piece by piece what's going on there. The other thing is I don't always like to list every single part included because sometimes I throw in extra parts. And uh, if, I, if I do that in an inconsistent manner, just as a nice little bonus, wherein one customer might get you know, uh, an extra sword, another customer may not get an extra sword because I ran through all those extra pieces. Um, listing that stuff ahead of time and then there being inconsistencies with people and what they receive, that, as you can imagine, leads to more headache and things like that. So generally, I like to kind of post one photo, give you an idea of what's in there. Hopefully, there's more parts than I show, and you get a nice little surprise out of things. But um, that's kind of how I operate with these sort of uh, Frankenslice drops. And they seem very popular. It seems to be able to, to get some older figures into newer collectors' hands. So I like doing it, and I think we will uh, continue doing this. Now, the other thing that's worth mentioning is uh, when there's a new item that's coming up. And a good example is an accessory set. And, you know, we can take this sort of silver pirate weapons pack as an example. So I made one of those available in a short supply with some older erratic figures with brand new heads that were kind of made with refreshing these erratic figures in mind. Um, and once that sold through, I came up with another idea, which is these Death Rattlers. And uh, sure enough, the parts fit really freaking well on these as well. So, uh, you know, I put those up and voila, people get another batch of these Silver Pirate weapons that they can get uh, ahead of the sort of public store release. So the lesson here is when I get a new accessory, 
it is extremely helpful as a way to refresh older inventory that I have and blow that out so that I'm not sitting on you know stale product I don't have the the space is still dedicated to something that came out a year or two ago and also every figure that's unsold is money that I have not sort of utilized right I have the purchase price tied up in that figure and I don't get that back I don't get reimbursed for that until I actually sell something so being able to refresh older styles of figures with a new accessory even if that accessory is going to be released solo in the future uh, it is extremely helpful to the ecosystem of Knights of the Slice to the cash flow situation to the space restrictions you know it's an extremely positive thing from where I stand now if people are patient they're always going to be able to get what they need to get out of Knights of the Slice without paying for extra stuff that they don't want. A good example is, um, you know, last year's uh, Zem uh, figure. So it came with this really beautiful silver and hot pink bug wing set. And maybe you weren't a patron at that time and you didn't get the AFOTM uh, in the mail, but eventually I released that bug wing separately and you could buy as many as you like so in many regards you know collecting this is really about when you when you like to get things and me personally for the lines I collect I want to get things first like I you know if I really love something I have no problem paying a little more to get it ahead of time I have no problem paying a premium to avoid driving around to a bunch of different stores to try to find one item that I'm interested in and you know, it's important to kind of think about almost every item on the store as having a, a release window. There's always going to be an advanced Patreon release window in which you can partake in or not. There's always going to be a sort of store release in most cases, which, you know, you can wait for as well. Uh, and then if you really are playing the long game, a lot of stuff gets recycled. And when it gets recycled and remixed into a Frankenslice, you're going to be able to pick up those items at a steep discount because that's just the nature of this business so there's kind of you know a setting for almost any sort of buying strategy you know if you are economical in what you're buying and you have to be smart and budgeted I, I think that this is a reasonable line to collect you know I think the five dollar patreon investment is a good one for the sheer fact it gives you access to the patreon only store which again has crazy discounts from time to time. There, there are absolute steals that are going on there. So hopefully that's kind of instructive and helpful for people. I know uh, this is a very fast moving ship um, and a lot of times a lot of my sort of rollouts and sales and decisions may not make sense. And sometimes there's no rationale behind things, right? I just do it because I want to do it. But um, in this case, with our Patreon secret store and these Franken slices, there's a very sort of deliberate thought process here, and it really is helping greatly in many different aspects of the business, specifically cash flow, which as soon as China comes back online from the Chinese New Year, I'm going to be committing to an insane amount of product and projects. We have obviously the Sea of Daggers, which is huge and ambitious. I have two very big orders I need to place that will sort of cover our Q2 and Q3 needs, as well as some of the AFOTM club figures. Uh, and then I have some tooling refreshes and revisions I wanna embark upon. All this stuff 
takes a lot of cash to do. I would guess that I'm probably going to be outlaying, you know, probably forty to fifty thousand dollars moving into Q2 and Q3 of this year, and that's conservatively. So that's a that's a a big, a big outpouring of cash, and uh, you know these little sales that we do are super helpful on multiple levels. And if it if it makes you feel better, all of this cash goes directly into the war chest that does things like expand the Sea of Daggers campaign into something even bigger to get us brand new figures that are going to be super interesting and also to fund tooling updates not unlike the Cybug. So uh, it's all it's all gravy as far as I'm concerned. Okay, now this episode is running a little long, so I'm going to speed round through our remaining questions. Hopefully I don't miss any. Apologies if I do. Robot Assassin on Discord, can we get more X-Ray style figures? Now, the X-Ray style figure of the Hyper Knight, which I believe is still in stock, did okay. Wasn't a smash hit, uh, as I had hoped. I think it's personally one of the coolest Hyper Knights ever designed, if not one of the coolest figures I've ever done. But it did not seem to connect in a bigger way and reach a bigger audience. That x-ray figure works because there are ABS components with PVC components. We talked about this earlier. ABS is a better conductor of light and uh, it's not quite as opaque. You can see through it in a much better fashion. That's why the x-ray figure works on Hypernite and it may not actually work on other figures. If we talk about Sen, that is all PVC. So you have relatively cloudy clear PVC sitting over a PVC skull, it's not going to have quite the same effect, not the same clarity. It is something that I've thought about doing, but I think ultimately what makes the Hypernite work is that ABS chest piece, and I'm not so confident that it would work with other figures. So this may be the only sort of x-ray figure that we get. Next Discord question from Skywalking. Do you think we will see more random part boxes or corpse bags? Definitely. Um, I still have a huge amount of bins of my early samples that I have to get through. It seems generally like people loved those uh, those uh, boxes. They were such a pain in the ass to put together. I really forgot how much it sucked making those boxes for uh, AFOTM. I'm glad we switched to using the uh, plastic blisters because, man, it takes so much time. It's such a, it's such a, a waste. Um, but in any case... Yes, I, I foresee some more of those coming up in the future. Uh, I do not exactly know when, but, um, you know, I would like to do more. And I do have some new parts. I think after the next wave of doing, you know, corpse bags, there's probably not going to be enough spare parts to do another one for quite some time. So um, I think maybe we have one more this year, and then I'll probably pause that for probably 12 to 18 months to kind of bat, you know, store up some more uh, parts. Okay, next up are Patreon questions for this week. Thomas Jante, I'm visiting the Yayoi Kusama and Snoopy Museums in Tokyo next month. Any thoughts on these two icons? I mean, they are icons, no question. Um, Kusama in particular, you know, I really like her work because it, it seems to have a genuine sense of humor about it. But for both these, I don't have a ton of personal connection to. I mean, I liked Snoopy uh, holiday specials, but never really read the comic or or felt particularly connected to it. Um, You know, I'm happy they're still around. I think, you know, they're they're generating uh, positive vibes out in the universe. But um, 
I can't say that I feel particularly moved by either. And maybe that's sacrilegious, but uh, such is life. Such is life. Uh, Moving on. Gordon McKinnon Hall. What's the cross-like weapon that came with the Sea of Daggers weapon pack? Uh, I've purposefully said nothing about it. It does belong to someone. We have not met that someone yet. And that is all I will say. It Consider it to be a teaser for the future. Next up from Thomas Bucci. Do you think it is a failure or strength of a fictional form of media when its audience looks too deep into the story, going beyond the storyteller's intention and formulating theories or hidden messages that the storyteller never intended to be there? Um, I mean, I think that is the process of art, right? I've said many times, a work is not art until other people interpret it. Um, I personally like everybody's theories and, uh, you know, hidden meanings that they find in Knights of the Slice. So for me, I think it's a positive. I can understand for other people, other IP holders, other movie studios, maybe it's less of a positive thing. But um, generally, it's, it's a part of a body of work that I enjoy. You know, I think of all many hours I've spent looking at Elden Ring lore videos, and uh, I eat that stuff up. I love it. So for me, it's a positive. Next question from Ian. You said you're letting go of a lot of your figures. Can you send a photo of what you're looking to let go of? Uh, I will continue to post claim sales as we did earlier this week on the uh, Patreon. And uh, people can just, uh, you know, first first come, first serve. Just uh, make a claim in the comments. And then I'll get you sorted out right after that. I, I That is the the easiest path for me to go down. So that's what I want to continue to do. Next up from Gavin Raider. Uh, is there any possibility the 13th club figure might make it to the secret store this year? Uh, he's speaking, of course, about the really beautiful yellow Sen that went out to anyone who prepaid for their entire year. Um, so I have a couple of them left. I have like four or five of them. I don't have enough for a sort of uh, proper offering. Um, also, the idea of Lemon Ducky version 2 was to incentivize people to pay for a full year. So it, it kind of de-incentivizes those people if I then just offer it up willy-nilly for anybody to buy. Um, so what may happen is it might end up being the fodder for a Frankenslice in the future, or I may sell it uh, sometime further down the line in the year without any of the extra accoutrements. Um, just as a sort of said material. Uh, I want to sort of keep it fair for those people that paid extra money and keep it as a special thing. But given that I do have some of them extra, you know, one of those two scenarios is is pretty likely, I think. Next and final question from Joe Silva. Love the Cybug release and after receiving AFOTM, I can't believe how well the lower Cybug goes with the classic knight body. It's like a flawless, perfect match. Any chance going forward, this can be the new look for all future classic knights. Um, I don't know how likely that is, but I do have an idea for an update I would like to do to the old knight body. Um, you know, we're uh, we're quite a ways off from that being a reality, but um, I kind of have some ideas that would refresh old knight because at this point, that is one of our older figures, and uh, it's kind of begging for, uh, you know, a little bit of a refresh, a la Cybug. So um, whether or not I get to that this year, that's an open question. But, um, you know, I'm kind of uh, thinking along the same lines. Now, the good news is you can just buy some extra Cybugs and, and refresh 
your older old night styles and I think they they look and work really well so um, don't let me hold anybody back from doing that I think we have a couple extra craze in the patreon only store uh, and at a discounted price without the accessories so go nuts go for it I, I uh, fully endorse this and with that all the questions have been answered I'm gonna leave us today obviously with a little Z star 7 song this is a live take from this week of drone advertisements you can also watch the music video on YouTube uh, if you are in the tri-state area next Friday is the biggest Z star performance ever we are at the yard in beacon for beacon open studios we are doing a live light and sound installation performance piece at the yard for beacon open studios it kicks off at 6 p.m lasts until 7 30. this is going to be the defining moment in Z star history we finally get to utilize all of our precious projectors and loops and toys that we have not been able to bust out at any of these venues we've played so far. So very much looking forward to that. And uh, if you're within an hour's drive, I absolutely recommend you go to it. It's gonna be a pretty mind-blowing show. And that is my sausage sizzling on the range top right there. I gotta go eat breakfast. Uh, that's it, pizza out.